0: Lord, indeed, we pray that you would occupy our hearts this morning. Lord, we need, we need you. We need your strength. We need your help. We need your love to overflow in our lives. We need your joy and your hope to break into the darkness of our lives, Lord. We need you to make us people who worship you, for you are greatly to be praised and greatly to be worshipped. So, Lord, as we come before your word, be with us, we pray. Do not be far from us, Lord. Be with us. Lord, strengthen our hearts, Lord, quicken our minds, Lord. It's so quickly and easy for us to get distracted by the things that so easily weigh us down. But, Lord, we now fix our eyes upon Jesus and cast off all that would encumber us. So be with us, we pray. Be with the children's church, Lord, that you'd bless the message there as well. We ask this in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. Well, for uh, those of you who are visiting or have been out traveling, having a great time all over America, just a reminder what's going on this month. This month, uh, Pastor Bob and his wife have been going out and doing the children's church, um, just as a reminder that that ministry is very important. Um, it's not something that's below the pastor to do, you know, and he sees it as a priority. And so um, um, every time I've seen him this month in June, I say, hey, are you enjoying your break? Because <laughs> he's not prepping for sermons. And he always says, well, it's not much of a break. You know, I, I still am preparing, and it's maybe a little bit easier the week, but it's still, yeah, you reminds me, it's still very important. So you know, it's just amazing to um, have Bob just uh, demonstrate that again, even every time we have these conversations. And so um, throughout the five weeks of June, there's been um, various of us filling the pulpit. Um, and this week, it's my week. So. Um, and since... Um, we're not doing, I mean, standalone sermons we kind of get to do. We've, we've talked a little bit, bits a little bit, just say, okay,
1: what are you preaching on? What are
0: you preaching on? Let's see if we can tie it together. And, but it was really clear that the Lord gave each of us a direction that we really felt like he was calling us to do. Um, and most of the times, it was addressing issues that we felt very near to our hearts. And so, things that have been really affecting us, and um, even conversations that I've had with some of the brothers here, like I've heard them talking about this, in so, like one case, um, Alan, for like months. Like his sermon that he's preparing, so he's super excited about it. And so I was thinking, you know, when we're having these conversations, i was thinking like, what has been moving my heart um, this, this the last years? And so um, this last year, and, and it's and it's been this. It's been the issue of worship. So this sermon's a little bit different in the fact that I'm probably not going to sit down on one scripture. I think there's like five or six of them that we're going to turn to and just kind of um, work our way through it. But just as, just as a starter though. I was thinking about Samson. I'm not going to preach Samson, but I was thinking about Samson. Um, I, I, was, I was reading, yeah, I was doing some studying and, you know, you know of, uh, his story, some of the things that happened. And now we all know that Samson had a problem, right? <laughs> you can't read Judges and realize this guy's got an uncontrollable appetite, right, for just whatever came his way. But I started thinking, you know, a little bit, you know, studying his story a little bit closer. We're doing Judges in one of our study groups, so I've been in the book of Judges. I think even deeper than his problem of unrestrained appetites was his issue of identity, actually. He didn't quite, it it doesn't seem like he quite knew why he was placed on this earth. And and it really comes out in the first chapter when the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mother and says, hey, you're going to have a child. Now, he's going to be a Nazarite, which means he's never going to drink alcohol, he's never going to cut his hair, He's never going to um, eat, uh, become unclean from touching a dead, dead body. That was one of the third conditions. I forget. Um, oh, and by the way, he is going to save his people. He's going to begin to deliver them from the Philistines. So the wife is super excited that she's going to have a baby. She runs to her husband and says, this guy came, and he told me we're going to have a baby, and, and he's going to be a Nazarite, and we're going to have a baby. And the husband's like, exciting, great news. What are we supposed to do with them? And she's like, I, don't, I forget. And so, and so he says, Okay, well, inquir- let's inquire that this person would come and visit us again and tell us what to do. So the angel of the Lord comes the next day, and she says, He's here again. And so the husband runs out with her, and, and, and he goes to the angel of the Lord and says, like, Okay, what are we supposed to do with this kid? And the angel says, Your wife is supposed to tell you everything I told you. Listen carefully to her, what she has to say. And so they, they finish the conversation, they give um, a, an offering to the Lord, and they realize that they've been talking to the angel of the Lord. And the wife never gets around to actually reminding her husband that the reason why Samson was going to be special, why she wasn't supposed to be drinking alcohol, why he was supposed to not be drinking alcohol, and Samson was not supposed to cut his hair or touch a dead body or eat defiled food, was because he was supposed to deliver his people. Samson, kind of throughout his whole life, never seems like he gets it. Right? The only reason. He's fighting Philistines. is because of tit-for-tat revenge, you know, fast. Like, you, I wanted to marry your Philistine. He, he's not even just defeating the Philistines. He's actually trying to marry them, right? And, um, and they, they get in a fight, and he ends up killing a bunch of them. And then the Philistines come knocking on Israel's door saying, hey, give us Samson, or we're going to kill all the Israelites. And all the Israelites said, we don't want problems with the Philistines. We don't want a deliverer. So they tie up Samson, and they throw him. Um, to the Philistines just to give him up. And Samson, of course, breaks out his bonds because ropes ain't going to hold this guy down. And he just starts slaying a bunch of Philistines. But again, there's, you know, the Israelites are not looking for a deliverer. The, the, his mother didn't seem to be looking for a deliverer. Samson is not acting like a deliverer at all. So now imagine then, Samson is hitting the point where he wants to get married. He wants to do what he wants to do. And so he knows he's not supposed to cut his hair. He knows he's probably not supposed to be married to Philistines. He knows he better not be eating honey out of a dead carcass of a lion. But he does it anyways. And so, all Samson seems to have on his side is prohibition. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. With no, why? Why not? It's because, because Samson, the Lord has something so much greater for you. Eating honey, not eating honey out of a dead carcass, not marrying over here and not cutting your hair is a small price to pay for the glory of redeeming the people of Israel. And so he, all he had is prohibitions, but he didn't have his identity. And so sometimes, I think we too, you get caught up in the church, and all you think is, oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And you forget to tell yourself the why. Why not? No, why don't I go see this movie or go do that thing? It's because, and we read it today in First Peter in our reading, you are a holy people of God. You are a royal priesthood. The people set apart to proclaim His excellencies. Not doing these things is a small price to pay to have Christ and to proclaim our God. To proclaim Him. And so, I want to talk about our identity. Our identity. What are we, as human beings, put on this earth to do? And in a word, it is to worship. We are to worship. Now, what does the word Worship kind of bring up to your mind. What are you thinking of when you hear the word? Um, the Bible has a lot to say about worship. Worship is all throughout the Bible, from beginning to end. In Revelation 22, we'll get to this in a little bit, but it says that we are going to worship our God forever. And so, you would want to make sure you had the right idea of worship, because if if your idea is worshiping was, um, you know, just falling on your face and staying there for eternity. Although the Lord is perfectly worthy of it, there's cherubim and seraphim singing his praises day and night, day and night, completely content. I remember as a kid just sitting there thinking, like, really? Like, just on my face, in golden light forever? And and so, kind of, I I wonder, like, do I really understand what God is calling me to when he calls me to be someone who worships? So, when we think of worship, let's probably start with some of the things that worship is not in itself what is not. Okay? Worship is not a musical style as much as some people might insist that the guitar or the organ is the only way to worship. Hymns only, or choruses only, or some blend in between. Those are expressions of worship, but they are not in and of itself worship. Worship is not musical style. Worship is not a liturgy. We're a very, well, we have our own little liturgies, right? We sing a song, we greet everybody, and then we you know, sing some more songs, and we preach. and we, So we have like this pattern we do day in, day out. But I mean, we would never insist... Unless you did it the way we do it, that you're doing worship the right way or the wrong way, okay? So it's not necessarily the way that we do it. It's not that it's even, you know, you're worshiping if it's organized. Like everything, there's, uh, you're reading catechisms and you're doing this and you've put a lot of thought into it. You know, unless you're doing that, it's, it's worship. Or it's, it's not, because on the flip side, and it's not worship if it's only spontaneous. Some people feel like if it's only spontaneous coming out of your heart, that's truly worship and anything you thought about is probably just man and you know, you know, trying to create something. Okay, that's not worship. Because you know what? The Bible has both of those. Spontaneous worship, organized worship. Okay. And this is a this is an important one, I think. Worship is not in and of itself an atmosphere. People will spend so much time if if you look at pictures of what's going on in a lot of churches, it's smoke and lights. Ambient sounds and pianos, you know, the organ's playing and stuff like that. Not that it's wrong. I'm just saying that, that, that this idea of trying to create a mood or some altered state of consciousness or some profound, special, deep awareness of God is not in and of itself worship. That might happen during worship, but it's not worship. Because think of how many psalms were written with people asking, Oh God, where are you? You seem so far from me. And that is worship because they're in the psalms. Okay, so then what is worship? What is worship? What is this that we are called to? If you look across the Bible and look at all the areas dealing with worship, it presents three elements that are all comprised in this thing we call worship. You could say each of these are worship in of itself if you're doing it, but they all kind of tie together. These three things are remembrance, submission, and service. Remembering, submission, and service. I'm going to go through all three of these. So First of all, remembrance. Remembrance, probably best put, this word comes up again and again and again and again and again in the Bible. Remember the Lord your God. Remember who he is and what he has done. So it's it's recognizing God's character and his rule. Because worship doesn't happen in a mental vacuum. Worship comes about when you remember and you focus your heart's attention on who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. This is worship, because God is worthy of your thoughts and your attention and your affection. In in the Old Testament, if if you read through, especially in the in the Torah, the first five books, you'll notice how much of their structure of their worship is built around remembering, and a lot of it is a lot of fun. You've got the Passover. You've got the the Feast of Booze when you're out camping, right? And and it's all things to help the people remember what the Lord did to bring them out of the house of slavery in Egypt. So they have feasts. They have memorial stones. They have people stand up and retell the history. They have yearly readings of the law just so they would not forget. And so again and again in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Moses warns these people again, Remember the Lord when you go into the land. Remember him and guard and keep everything he's told you. Guarding and keeping is the idea of like, you're going to treasure these words that the Lord has given you and you're going to bring them before your mind and you're not going to let anything get in the way or remove these from you. Keep, guard, and remember. So, um, Deuteronomy 8. Let me just read this passage. Um, 8.1 and then we're going to drop to verse, I think, 11. So it says... And this is Moses speaking to the people. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And jumping ahead, I think, verse 11. You shall remember... The Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers, as it is in this day. And then He goes on in Deuteronomy to mention, and don't forget, the positive of the negative. Remember, don't forget. Because if you forget, you're going to get proud, you're going to get ensnared by idols. Because the opposite of remembrance is forgetfulness. And when people forget the Lord their God, they very quickly slip away into idolatry. That is almost the, the picture that Israel represents for us day in and day out. Well, maybe it's like decade in and decade out. Because usually there's a, good, there's a good generation who just never really passes on very well to the second generation who completely forgets the Lord because they, they don't even really pass on to the third generation. And by the third generation, they are completely swamped by their enemies and they're ensnared, worshiping their enemies' idols. So for us now... We're America, we don't have enemies who come and swamp us, (laughs) right? Um, But I think the the idea is true for us, that if we're not constantly bringing the Lord, our God, before our eyes, our heart, and our minds, that we quickly slip away into something else that grabs our attention, grabs our eyes, and grabs our affections. Um, I've, I've heard it said by many pastors, your heart is an idol factory. It worships no matter what's in front of it. And so, um, what is it in America that we worship? Now, it's going to be different for each person. Each person is going to have their own unique struggles about things that they're going to worship above the Lord, um, be it TV or the internet for just small things that ensnare your heart. It could be your friends. It could be your work. It could be anything that replaces God in your life. You live for that. Something else is going to dominate your waking moments and the affections of your heart. And so, in this idea of remembering, I, 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 I think to myself, like, so, okay, I hear you. I need to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord, and I need to bring these truths to my heart constantly, okay, and so what gets in the way? And so I remember the first time this really hit me, like, a two-by-four. It was a time, okay, this is kind of geeky, because I was, like, a teenage boy, you know, late teens. It was an iPod, okay, I bought myself an iPod and this thing had all the bells and whistles, touch screen, lots of music, 16 gigabytes, and I ordered that thing and literally the 3 days it took to be delivered to my house, all I could think of was that iPod. It would interrupt my devotions. I'd be like, and the Lord is good It's like, and there's an iPod coming. Right? And and suddenly it just it just it snagged me. Like and I get that little, you know that exciting feeling that's right here. You know like, right? And it also just hit me like this iPod is going to make me happy for, like, two days. And then, like, the newness wears off. I'm going to scratch the screen, <laughs> and it's over. Like, you know, and, and I'm going to be disappointed and depressed, right? Okay. So, but it's like, what was invading my thoughts? What was just intersecting my day? I'm in the middle of work, and I start thinking about this. I start, uh, I'm in my devotion. What is it that just interrupts your thoughts in the middle of the day? And I'll be, like, probably free to admit, with most of you, I wonder if it's the Lord. How often it's the Lord. How often are you remembering him throughout the day? And so I think, well, how do you combat that? How do you you remember? Well, the Lord has told you again and again and again and again his word how actually to remember him. And a lot of it is remember what I say. And so I have found probably the best thing to remember the Lord throughout the day is trying to memorize scripture, a scripture, any scripture. Keep that scripture, like I'm memorizing this. I'm memorizing this, and those scriptures just bleed into your mind at various points of the day. It, it starts intersecting, uh, reminding yourself to pray during the day. Um, Bob talks about the guy who kept the watch, who would go off every hour, and, and he knew it so was like, did I have I prayed this hour? Right. So, the thing about remembrance, and this is what's really interesting about remembrance and worship, is it's remembrance is not just like, oh yeah. There was that thing so far and long ago. Interesting. You know, just a cognitive remembrance. No. It's taking that thing way far in the distance and pulling it to the moment and affects the now. Right now. I'm struggling with a sin. I need to remember that Christ died and was risen so I might not be slave to sin. I'm in despair so I need to remember the hope that's been given to me in Christ. Remembrance is never just thinking back. It's affecting what's happening to me right now. So just remember this, that we need to keep the proper we have to know who the Lord is, bring that truth before us again and again and again. And this is the great part about it. This is truly worship. So the fact that you stop in the day and think about Him, that is worship. Do you you think you only worship on Sunday mornings? Not even close. Do you think you only worship when you do your devotions in the morning? Not even close. This is going to build, but the one thing you can always say, whenever you stop and give attention to the Lord, it is worship to him. Because you're basically demonstrating that, Lord, you are more important than all these circumstances that I am right now. All the things that would grab my attention, but for this moment, Lord, it's you. It's you. So that is remembrance. So remember who the Lord is, and then it's going to evoke a response. That response should be submission. There's remembrance, And there is submission. So a worshiper is someone who recognizes God's gracious character and rule and then responds in adoration and grateful submission. Now, of of the three things we're going to cover, remember it's submission and service. Submission is probably the idea that comes to your mind when we say, what's worship? You think singing, right? Or you think, like, giving God praise and adoration. That's this, first and foremost. I'll only give you... The Hebrew word for this, for, for submission, is halal. And the only reason I'm telling you that is because we use the word all the time, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a compound word, halal Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Praise him. And so that call to worship, give him the honor and glory to his name. Come together, hallelujah, praise his name. That, that is this word submission. Now, the idea, interestingly enough, that if you went to the other nations, because they shared a lot of these words, because Hebrews and the, um, so they all speak this, halal meant to drop on your face before your king and your lord, or drop to your knee. It was this idea of prostration. But if you look at it in the Old Testament, it, it, it does have that element. Think about Isaiah in the temple, who sees the glory of the Lord on his face. Think about, think about the disciples in the boat with the storm raging, and Jesus stands up and with a word, calms the seas, on their faces, praising him, saying, you are great, you are marvelous, and, and they greatly feared him. There's that moment of, you are king of kings, lord of lords, and I'm going to fall on my face as I should before a king and praise him. But as this word gets kind of, kind of built upon in the Old Testament, it's more than just falling on your face because it starts incorporating the idea of verbal praise, language, Language, they would say, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. So here's that worship, bow down, kneel before, for he is our God and greatly to be praised. Give him words acknowledging who he is. This is reverence. This is reverence. Now, I think about this. I was at this church once, and we sang, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our-. Okay, after, you know, great song. And someone just kind of pipes up in the service. It's a little bit more of an open service. And he pipes up, like, why don't we ever kneel? And everybody's like, well, y'all know I'm, you know, because we just don't. He's <laughs> like, we, we, sing, we sing these words, but we don't actually go about doing it. And, and, and that question kind of stuck with me. Now, I, I process, like, super slowly. I usually need to think about something for a month before I come up with a really clear answer in my head. And I just keep my eyes open. Yeah, so this one actually took me years. So it took me years to figure out, like, yeah, why don't we kneel? Now, in that culture, when you when you when a king or a judge or whatever would walk in and you're going to show them due honor and due respect, you just get on your face. That's the way you did it. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, so how do we as Americans show honor and respect? Judge walks in, we say, all rise. Or the president comes in and everybody stands up. You know. um, the bride walks in for the marriage, and it's her day, so everybody gives, due honor, and everybody stands. And so I think, and so, all of a sudden I stopped feeling quite as bad, I mean, about not falling on my face every time we came to worship. But that idea that when we come to worship as a people of God, we give God honor and reverence for who he is. And so, whatever the form that takes, and whatever culture. So our culture, respectful silence, or standing, you know, it's, I think that's, it's, I mean, even Pakistan, America, is going to be different. But the attitude the attitude and the heart is what is important, because you can be on your face and be a, rep, a rebel. Right? So, just, it's the attitude of obedience and faithfulness that the Lord is looking for. So, now this idea, when I was thinking, so when you see, like, Lord of the Lord, King of Kings, and you're supposed to praise, like, acknowledge who he is, that great and that fearing God, well, what if he's your father? Because he is, right? You know, what, what if he's a father? So then I asked myself, what if my dad was president? Like, this is so What if your dad was president? Now, if your dad was president, would you love your dad? Yes. Would you love the fellowship that you have with your dad? Yes. But when he was president, wouldn't you treat him like the president, or would you treat him like treat him as your father? And it's uh, kind of well, both ends, because you're going to you're not going to disrespect the fact that he is the president, but you are also going to know my dad is the president, and that's awesome. So the the you know Jesus or our father. Lord of lords, king of kings, absolutely. He has a throne, high, lofty, exalted, lifted up, that we can approach with confidence because we know he's our father. So even as we praise, there's even fellowship within that. I mean, it's really awesome that God is our father. And all that entails. So in our posture, in our language, praise him, remember him, hallelujah. I mean, listen, listen to this. I was, even just as I, was, you know, I was being slightly devotional even when I was writing this. I mean, Christ deserves our praise and our adoration. He deserves it. It says in Colossians 1, 115, For by him all things are created, in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I mean, as governments, powers, all the things that rule us on earth, probably even spiritual powers it might be even mentioned, meant by these words. It says, all these things were created through him and for him. For him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the highest power and authority above all. Governments, the most powerful government, America with all its military might, Russia with all its military might, with all of our nukes, and all of our troops. We we're just a shadow of the authority and power and might that belongs to him because he put those powerful governments there. He put them there. And the guy who's putting them there is greater than them all. There is not one square inch of human enterprise that exists over which God, who is Lord over all, does not cry, mine. I rule everything. It's for me and it's for my glory. Business, art, food, your job, my job, our families, our church, it all exists for him. Our allegiance, our allegiance is ultimately due him. And so if your heart is gripped by this, you would live for him. You would die for him. You would obey his every orders. you do everything in the word you would submit to him and offer everything that you would. To live would be Christ. To die would be gain. So, as we remember who he is, or we put him before our eyes, we say, you are my God, my King, my Lord. I live, Lord, for you. And I submit myself to him. And I participate in his works and in his kingdom. To... He said, if you love me, you will obey me. Because as you love him, you'll want to do everything to honor and glorify him and do things that he does. Imitate Christ in his love and his compassion and in his, in his stand for truth. You would want to be like him. So obviously, this act of submission, of praising him, telling him how great he is and doing this, will push itself into this third category, service. You'll actually begin the service. Now for me, this has been the biggest one for this past year. This is the one that's really, really, really grabbed my heart because I recognize that I don't have so much mental energy so I had to commit to thinking. And when I'm at my work and I'm lecturing, right, I have to be thinking about my lecturing or I'm just going to be like this mess on the board and I'll probably get fired. Right, so what do I do when I can't praise or worship? Well, God says, you live for me. You live for me. You serve me. So this has been the big one. He is worthy of all this. He's, we exist for worship. We exist for service. Now, just kind of, just a scope real quick. In Genesis, God creates everything. He creates stars, moon, sun, earth, water, sky. And then he doesn't start with the material. He starts putting life on it. Plants, birds. Whales, everything. Crawling beasts, bugs, everything. He just starts pouring life on this earth. And he does it in six days. And, he, and the last thing he does is he puts the man and the woman in there. Okay, now in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2. Uh, 2 verse 5. It's it's speaking about, like, so God rested on the seventh day, okay, and it says, and these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, okay. Verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, first reason, and, lost my place, and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going from the land as was watering the whole face of the ground. It says, Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted the garden in Eden, east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. A tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This speaks of the abundance of this Eden that all had all these precious metals, it had all these rivers flowing out of it. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, from the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay, then it goes on. Adam names all the animals. I mean, you'd think that'd be God's job, but God gives relegates that to man and says, hey, why don't you name the animals? And I'm like, really? I can name these? Giraffe, right? <laughs> That's an awesome name for something with a long nap. Giraffe, right? And so man goes and he names all of this, and then, and then the woman comes in and she becomes Help me!" and all this. He has bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and the first day there is a marriage, right? So, so the idea is, God creates this wonderful creation and he puts man on it to serve and to keep it. It says, to, to work in and keep it. Um, there's a song in the Big Rock Candy Mountains, right? It was on the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it was about a hobo, like, traveling, you know, across America, and China, he's talking about the mystical place where there's, where there's no work, and the bulldogs have rubber teeth, and there's hard-boiled eggs, you know, so he's talking about, like, basically like hobo's dreamland, right? And, and one of the lines is, and they hung the jerk who invented work. And I'm like, ah, ha, ha, that's God, <laughs> Right? First of all, God himself worked, And second of all, he says to man, hey, do you want to join me in this? Why don't you work and keep it? And so he gives man, as part of his worship to God, part of his service to God is he's going to work. Keep this creation. Now, of course, we completely blow it. But as an example, this is great. I I don't know this guy. I know a friend of this guy down the barrier. This Christian brother works for a mil- millionaire. This millionaire's hobby is collecting really expensive cars. And he's got so much money, he's got a warehouse full of expensive cars. Now, I'm sorry, if cars don't float your boat, replace it with something else. Okay? This guy's job, now, the millionaire is his hobby, not his job. So he doesn't want to sit there and do all the oil changes and all the maintenance. He just wants to be able to drive a car whenever he wants. Okay? So he hires this, this Christian brother down the barrier to keep up his cars for him. And and as a perk to the job, he can drive any of them he wants. Just keep them on the road. Keep them going. Keep them running. Keep them hunting. This guy's job is like, hey, honey, where are you going go to do today? I think I'm going to go drive the Ferrari. Just thinking. Take that up, you know, I-5 or something for a little bit. I mean, this guy, in his mind, has the best job in the world. Okay, I mean, is he an employee of this man? Yes. Does he have scheduled lunch breaks? Probably. Does he have retirement, taxes, yada, yada, everything? Yes. Do you think he enjoys his job? oh, yeah. <laughs> it's probably, like, he's, he wakes up and he's like, I have the best job in the world. Okay. So in many senses, like, that's the job God gave us. Hey, this great creation that you love so much and you love to enjoy looking at trees, like, oh, man, look at the sunset. Right? You, we had the job of keeping it beautiful and just yeah, working it, tilling it. And, and in many senses, okay, we obviously broke the job. Right? We're like, you know what, God? We're gonna just going to do this on our own. We're going to do what we want. You put a limitation, don't eat a tree, pff, we're going to eat from the tree. Deception, all that. You know, you know Genesis 3. But there's a very real sense, and maybe this will be another sermon for another day, but in a very real sense, our jobs, what we do with our lives, is worship to the Lord, because in some sense, we are still doing what he did. I think of artists who take kind of the raw chaos of sound and make something beautiful. I can't do that. Or, or take paintings and make something beautiful, just like, just like these goopy, colory blobs of something, and create these massive canvases. In some sense, that is us mirroring the image of God. That God creates beauty, and we too can create beauty. And so our jobs, like when you're out there gardening, or you're raising your children, like every aspect, the Bible calls us, says you belong to Christ. So now, everything you do, do unto Him. Whether you eat or drink, eating and drinking, you do to glorify and honor Him. So you enjoy that drink. You enjoy that food, and say, God, you're awesome. And thank you that you allowed us to take flavors and make them taste wonderful. Like we can take avocado and mix it with this and that, and we got guacamole. Praise your name, Lord of Most High. Right? And so as we're working, it's not meaningless that you, 100,000 hours of your life was spent in a job. Okay? It wasn't meaningless. Now, some days your job might feel like it's scent Sweat of the brow? Absolutely. <laughs> right? There are some nasty things. You know, there's corruption, exploitation, you know, you know, you live in this world. You feel the effects of sin. But at least it still echoes what God has called us to do. Now, part of worship now, with the way the world goes out and does work is going to be different than the way the Christian goes out and does their job. We are called, we are called to be his people even now. And we are waiting and, and, and even sojourning living as we should, sojourning for the day that we reach heaven. Turn to, turn to Revelation chapter 22. This is like the other book. We did, we, did, we did Genesis 2, Revelation 22. We won't spend a lot of time here, but it's very, very interesting. Now, Revelation 21 is talking about the new heavens, new earth coming down, God saying, Behold, I make all things new, the new Jerusalem. And it speaks of all the wealth of the nations coming into the city, Now, listen to the echoes of Eden. Listen to the echoes of Eden in Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of water, of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding fruit in each month, leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their heads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign with him. We with him forever and ever. And get this, it says... In verse 3, that his servants will worship him. This word for worship is not the word that would come from halal. It's not the praise word. It's the serve God with action word. Serve God with your actions worship. We call it worship because it is. We translate it worship that way. But we serve him with our actions. This is great. We've been talking about this for months now. Romans 12, 1. In light of all these things, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. That word, serve God with your actions. Worship. So as we think about as a church, how are we serving God today? Not just in our jobs, but how are we serving Him today? We are serving Him with the gifts, that he's, the gifts of the Spirit. We've been talking about them. All the things that he's equipped us to do are to be used to worship him in the fact that we exercise him. He says, for the grace of God given to me, I say to you, this is Paul, I say to you, why am I telling you this? Man, I killed the church. That was me, Saul. I hated the church. I hated God. But by the grace of God, I am now an apostle, and I'm somehow telling you to do this. And I I will because it's my worship to God. I'm the least among the apostles, but still, I will serve God with every ounce of my being. So by the grace of God, I say to you, and, and he says, don't think more highly than yourself than you ought to think. And, and then, you know, and whatever way God's gifted you, do it. All of Romans 12. Do it. But he says something important. By the grace of God given to you. You see, the only reason that we can be people who remember the Lord our God, who submit to him, and who serve him with our lives is because of his grace, because of his love, because he came down from heaven to redeem trespassers, sinners, rebels. And so we should, as we live day in and day out, say thank you, O oh Lord, my God, that you have saved me. And I live. So that is what we do now, at communion. Right? We remember who the Lord is. We submit to Him. We thank Him for His grace, and we proclaim the Lord's death till He rises. Because we are His people, we eat at the table with Him, and we long for the day that He'll come back. So, in a word, remember who He is. Submit to Him. Live your life for Him, and you will Be living life of worship. So let's do this now in communion. The worship team will come forward and the offering... For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. (coughs) Gracious Father, Lord, thank you, and we praise you. We offer our lives in honor and gratitude and service to you. Lord, we recognize that uh, in many ways we fail this day in and day out, Lord, but your love keeps drawing us back in. Mm -hmm. And Lord, as we come again and again remembering our hearts are aflamed anew uh, who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. Lord, so I pray every morning as we wake up and as we start our day, that we would think to ourselves that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, because this is our worship. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as Redwood Christian Fellowship, and every believer represented here as well, Lord, that we would say and truly understand, know and live. To live is Christ, to die is gain, for you are worth every ounce of who we are. And so we give ourselves a service to life, and life to you. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you, we serve you in Christ's name and for his glory.